Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. I've always been fascinated by the human voice, which experts say is as unique to each person as their fingerprint. In these podcasts, we celebrate the human voice in all its wonderfully diverse forms, young and old, different accents and cultural contexts. Writers sometimes struggle to find their own voice, but you can kind of tell when someone is speaking from a place of authenticity and integrity. That's when I most love listening to voices. Thank you for listening. You're listening to The Lost Cause, a special project from Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Many of those people were there to protest the taking down of the statue of Robert E. Lee. So, this week it's Robert E. Lee. I noticed that Stonewall Jackson's coming down. I wonder, is it George Washington next week? And is it Thomas Jefferson the week after? Then President Donald Trump commenting on the throngs of white supremacists who assembled in Charlottesville in 2017. It's a movement that had been growing for years. I do believe that social media and the internet played a huge role uh, in all of this. Former Senator Doug Jones of Alabama. When I was the United States attorney between 1997 and 2001, we could see as the internet grew, so did these white supremacist groups on the internet. The Klan as as an organization, for instance, had been pretty much destroyed. Uh, through a lot of work from Southern Poverty Law Center and others. But the Internet gave those folks an opportunity to start gathering and building and propagandizing uh, any number of folks who were not out in a field with hoods on, burning a cross, but were in the privacy of their own bedrooms and living rooms and able to to read those things that they really kind of were believing or thinking they may not have been fully convinced. And that went on. Then you had the um, the election of Barack Obama, the first black president of the United States. CBS projects that Senator Barack Obama of Illinois will be the next president of the United States. He defeats John McCain, the senator. If you look at what happened after his election, the rise of the number of white supremacist uh, organizations and Internet sites grew dramatically uh, after that. And but they were still just primarily internet kind of related, and there was a growing sense. You would see them pop up a lot. Trump gave them permission to really come out of the closet, come out from under the rock, and and get out from behind a computer and talk about this uh, openly, uh, according those votes. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I saw the same pictures as you did. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. In some ways, the continuing struggle for greater equality and inclusiveness has been the storyline of America. It drove the most violent chapter of that story, the U.S. Civil War. Daniel Day-Lewis won the Oscar for Best Actor as the title character in Steven Spielberg's Lincoln. We're stepped out upon the world stage now. Now! 
with the fate of human dignity in our hands. Blood's been spilled to afford us this moment. Now, now, now. Abolishing slavery by constitutional provision settles the fate for all coming time. Not only of the millions now in bondage, but of unborn millions to come. President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated five days after the Confederacy surrendered to the U.S. Army in April 1865. And while slavery was abolished that year by constitutional amendment, racial tensions in America have simmered ever since. It's the anxiety of white elites in society and those who are feeling for every African-American gain there has to be a loss to whiteness. Historian Hillary Green of Davidson College. And you see this after the Civil War from those early proponents of the lost cause and the violence that they're willing to enact against African-Americans because that success should not occur. The early years of Reconstruction meant new civil rights for the formerly enslaved people. But strident backlash and the adoption of Jim Crow segregation in the South would shortly erode many of those freedoms. And in recent years, accurately presenting this history in schools through textbooks has come under attack. Opponents object to a suggestion that all white people will be branded as oppressors. Textbooks tell a simplified narrative and easy, but they the textbooks that a lot of these anti-textbooks individuals want to go back to is a period that did not include his, accurate histories of African Americans in them. It included the lost cause portrayals of Gone with the Wind as the norm. But now, after the civil rights movement, actually included more truthful and accurate histories that includes America in all its fullest but also not just a top-down, a heroic, um, great man, American exceptionalist narrative, but one that honestly talks about the contributions of women, indigenous people, African-Americans to the nation, including slavery, and then its aftermath. So talking about the inclusive history of the United States because African-American history is U.S. history. Women's history is U.S. history. They're really having to go back to what they were taught, the myths that they were taught, and a recognition of a wider world that contributes to what is the United States today. Progress on racial equality has advanced only slowly in fits and starts, and often over strenuous objection. In the 1940s, Harry Truman uh, desegregated the U.S. military. It was the 1940s <laughs> that that happened. Uh, I mean, uh, 80 years after uh, the Civil War. So I think that the movement had started and was building, and this was an effort to make sure that there were roadblocks put up wherever they could do it. And you do that by recognizing and supporting those who um, protected the institutions of not just the, the lost cause in the Confederacy, but the institutions that kept black people down in this country and kept them, as, as folks would often say, in their place. 
and that is the that was the real challenge. The Confederate battle flag did not really take hold until into the 20th century as the civil rights movement began to grow. As a kind of defiance of that civil rights movement? Absolutely. There's, there, there is no question about that. Popular culture, which became more sophisticated in this period, played an influential role in reinforcing the lost cause. Birth of a Nation, originally titled The Klansman, was a silent film released in 1915 running more than two hours. President Woodrow Wilson, a Lost Cause sympathizer, screened the movie at the White House. It's set around the assassination of President Lincoln and has been criticized for demeaning portrayals of black characters. Historian Ty Sigley. D.W. Griffith's The Birth of a Nation is, is an amazing movie in from a technical perspective. Particularly then. Particularly then. I mean, it was like it, people... It, it was the first epic ever produced in Hollywood. It blew people's minds to see this. But think about the fact that they, that you, these great technical achievements, these great movie making and, and are about the worst possible thing. But that's America, isn't it? That's who we are, is that we have this amazing ability. And then we have this other thing. And that other thing is racism. And the racism is, you know, it's the virus in the American dirt. It's our eternal pandemic. There were early films by African-Americans, notably the director and author Oscar Michaud, who was involved in the production of 44 movies in the early 20th century. But he had to compete in a biased society. No one went to see Oscar Michaud except if you were in a segregated movie theater and you went to the 10 o'clock showing when black films or what they call race films were allowed to be shown. Birth of a Nation was everywhere. And also Birth of a Nation, um, a lot of the Klan um, groups at the time would reenact some of those scenes in person. So it wasn't just the silent film. It's having the music performed alongside of it. So it was endorsed by the Ku Klux Klan, the second Ku Klux Klan. And that cultural part of the lost cause is why we're still overturning those myths today about what the lost cause was, and this shows how successful it was. In the early 20th century, the lost cause ideology was sustained in part by racial bigotry and also by the inability of a counter-message to break through that prejudice. And we have been dealing with that from the beginning, and we are dealing with it now. But remember, the reason white America is dealing with that is that black America doesn't have the vote. It's still an apartheid state in the South. This is a segregated society that this is going into. And many of the films are reinforcing that because that's the way it is. So everything reinforces what was in America. That's why the civil rights movement takes so long. It's so difficult to do because this is so entrenched. exploring the bitter legacy of racial division left over from the Civil War and how it's still affecting American life today. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, The Lost Cause, and to obtain audio downloads or CDs, please visit humanmedia.org. The Hollywood blockbuster Gone with the Wind, starring Clark Gable and Vivian Lee, 
romanticized the Confederacy. It was based on Margaret Mitchell's 1936 novel set in Georgia during the Civil War. The movie came out in 1939. In today's dollars, it's the highest grossing film ever. This show is a happy day to me. I done died for three generations of this family's girl. And this show is a happy day. Oh, yes, Mammy. The happiest days are when babies come. I wish... Oh, Mammy, she's beautiful. What do you suppose they'll name her? Miss Scarlett done told me if it was a girl, she's going to name it Eugenia Victoria. Could you address this specific image of the happy slave which clearly is depicted in Gone with the Wind. Yes, and this is why the lost cause is um, that slavery was the natural state of African Americans and that they could not conceive of a world without um, abandoned love for their white enslavers. And that happiness and also their sadness when slavery's no more, that's why you have the mammy figure crying and trying to remain in that condition. And it ignores that African-Americans pursued freedom. And also it's easy to then portray African-Americans as childlike, unable to live in society, and that slavery was a happy condition for them. And without slavery, they were miserable. They had a hard time living. And again, none of that's true, but it's easy to live out this fantasy. Red, where are you going? I'm going, my dear, to join the army. Oh, you're joking. I could kill you for scaring me so. I'm very serious, Scarlett. I'm going to join up with our brave lads in gray. But they're running away. Oh, no. They'll turn and make a last stand if I know anything about them. And when they do, I'll be with them. I'm a little late, but better late. Red, you must be joking. Selfish to the end, aren't you? Thinking only of your own precious hide with never a thought for the noble cause. Red, how could you do this to me? And, and why should you go now that after it's all over and I need you? Why? 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 Maybe it's because I've always had a weakness for lost causes once they're really lost. Or maybe... Maybe I'm ashamed of myself. Gone with the Wind, if you... For me, I counted up the number of scurrilous terms about black Americans. Uh, you know, you know what those words are. I don't, I don't want to say them, but those words are in there over 200 times. Or in a book, she mentions about uh, black uh, senators or congressmen putting their un, uh, foot up on the desk without shoes, eating peanuts. So it's creating this myth that, that black people, about Reconstruction, that black people weren't, weren't good enough to serve in high office, that they weren't ready for freedom. In its day, Gone with the Wind was phenomenally successful. Nearly half the U.S. population bought tickets to see it. It was also widely screened across Europe. But Margaret Mitchell's novel perpetuated stereotypes, some of which do not withstand scrutiny. During Reconstruction, 2,000 black men serve in, in elected office. But she's saying, no, they weren't ready for the vote. She's also saying the happy slaves, they stay, the Mammy and Prissy stay with the family after the Emancipation Proclamation throughout Reconstruction, even though they can't pay them because they're so loyal. This idea of the loyal slave. So that's another part that's in there. 
The KKK is there to protect the women. So as as she says in the book that the KKK is to stop um, black people from voting eight to ten times and to protect white women. Remember, the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, is a white terror organization meant to cow black people into not voting and to ensure they stay in debt peonage. One other note on Gone with the Wind. Its leading black character, an enslaved maid called Mammy, was played in the film by Hattie McDaniel. For her performance, she became, at age 44, the first African-American ever to win an Oscar. But at the banquet, the hotel where it was held prohibited McDaniel from sitting at the same table as the movie's white cast members. There remain about 1,700 monuments to General Robert E. Lee and other Confederate warriors. And many of these were built decades after the Civil War, even into the 20th century, as lost cause beliefs became more ingrained. In many respects, these monuments glorify a violent insurrection against the United States. Former Senator Doug Jones. Well, I think it's really unfortunate. I think so many of the Confederate monuments, whether it's to Lee or other Confederate war generals or the Confederacy itself, were built not in memory of lives lost, but memory of the lost cause. And they were built as the civil rights movement was growing, as organizations started challenging the Jim Crow laws that um, popped up after Reconstruction was dissolved. Uh, And it was a fight. It was a fight over Reconstruction, over the Jim Crow laws. It was a fight over race. And that's, I think, the myth really took hold as a way to to try to stymie the efforts of African-Americans in this country to obtain an equal status with white Americans. A remnant of the lost cause has remained prominent in the U.S. military. And in 2021, Congress established a commission to propose renaming military bases, naval vessels, monuments, and other facilities previously named for Confederate officers who waged war against the U.S. Army. Retired Brigadier General Ty Sigley, author of Robert E. Lee and Me, served on the commission. I took the oath of office, that same oath, the anti-Confederate oath, um, with my eight commissioners. And I am the vice chair. Well, it means so much to me because I chose to retire from the Army to try to help do that, to try to help change those things that were named after those who chose treason to preserve slavery. And does that mean that you thought you could not do so while still in the Army? I certainly could not have published this book in the Army. I couldn't talk to you freely in the Army. I mean, that I couldn't do it there. I also found that by writing about it outside the Army, I had a greater chance of changing things inside the Army. There's a monument at Arlington National Cemetery, generally considered kind of hallowed ground in the United States, that honors an insurrection 
in your terms, a foreign power that attacked the United States, that killed many American soldiers. How do you process that fact itself? Again, I am just, it makes me angry that in that place where 400,000 Americans and their families who serve the nation, it is hallowed ground, it's sacred ground, it's close to sacred ground as you can get in America, and there is this statue there. Um, and that statue isn't just any statue. It is the cruelest monument in the country. It starts at the top with sort of Lady South, who's meant to show the great honor of Southern manhood and the Southern, uh, Southerners, white Southerners in general. Then it has, there's a bas-relief around it that shows a mammy figure. Quote, I'm quoting, you can see my air quotes here, an enslaved woman, overweight, with a bandana around her head, with a tear in her eye, taking the baby, a white child from her Confederate quote-unquote master, to show her support for the war. There, first of all, there were no overweight enslaved people. They didn't feed them enough to do that. No way. Second, the idea that she would, be, she would support this effort to keep her enslaved, this is that happy slave, faithful slave narrative, wrong. On the other side, there's a very, another happy uh, enslaved black man with his chin up, going off to support, as a body servant, going off to support his master. That's what this, this monument on that sacred ground is. Horrific, horrific, the worst in the country. The Naming Commission, as it was called, submitted its final report in September 2022, which has been accepted by the Secretary of Defense. It calls for renaming of nine U.S. military bases to honor a more diverse group of Americans. Doug Jones. I think they have done just an amazing amount of work going to these bases, for instance, meeting with local officials, meeting with uh, members of the public, making sure that folks understood that this was not a situation of they were coming there to, to determine, you know, whether or not to do this. It was going to happen and to try to explain and to work with each of the local communities. And I think overwhelmingly they have been met with acceptance, not always with open arms, but certainly with acceptance. I applaud those who are on the commission because they took great risks to themselves and but did the hard work that was needed because I know they suffered from threats um, in this environment. They were tackling the lost cause very publicly. So they were not light. Historian Hillary Green. To have military bases and other installations and others recognizing domestic enemies of the United States always seemed odd to me as someone who has had family who fought for the um, U.S. forces, Army and Navy and some Coast Guard since the Civil War. The agonizingly long practice of prejudice in our history has left virtually no part of American life untouched. So it remains for leaders today to move the United States toward a more perfect union. Again, former Senator Doug Jones. First of all, people have to have the courage to stand up and speak out, as my friend the late John Lewis used to say, and, and do so sometimes at the cost of their own political fortunes. Right now, people, uh, there are too many enablers that do not want to stand up and speak out because they are know that they are likely to be able to get those votes. So I think that that is number one. And I, and I really believe, too, that the faith community and the business community plays huge roles in that, um, that should be demanding that more and more these days. 
You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart Rose. Editorial assistance from Kathy Graham, Ken Rogers, and Rowan Edwards. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Laura Carlo, Graham Espy, Josh Sacco, Robert Frazier, and the Music Division of the Library of Congress. Thanks also to Steve Martin, Jack Clappish, and Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media. To download an audio copy of this program and access other resources, please visit humanmedia.org. That's humanmedia.org. You can also access our other programs and send us an email from our website. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. And you can subscribe to our free weekly podcast, Humankind on Public Radio. This segment, The Lost Cause, is Humankind program number 294. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind.